And if you're going to stay with us, let's open up to the book of Daniel chapter 7, please. Daniel chapter 7. We have uh, slowed down a little bit to cover some very salient and important verses. But I think we can make a little bit of distance today, perhaps even finish the chapter. We'll see how it goes. Much of this is Daniel going back over the vision and then asking for a little further explanation. So much of this we've already covered to a great extent. All right, Daniel chapter 7 and verse number 15. Let everybody find that. Daniel 7 and 15. And it says here in verse 15, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. All right, so there's two sources of pain, if we want to say it like that. It's an intellectual pain, and then it's also an emotional pain. This is hurting his head, and it is hurting his heart, the spirit within his body. The reason this is so painful is Daniel has just seen the downward spiral of everything. He, he knows that the current system that he's working with is this Babylonian system. That's who's in power but then it goes Media Persia, Greece, Rome, and then he has seen everything out to the Antichrist, and then the judgment, and then, of course, the Lord sitting upon his throne. So he knows there's a happy ending, but he knows there's this long span of time where things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse until eventually, after a great while, they get much, much better. So in verse 16, he says, I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me it made me know the interpretation of the things. Now he's going to go back through the visions. And we'll, we'll read the verses just now, but just quickly turn over to Zechariah chapter 2. And uh, I want to show you who Daniel is most likely turning to ask for help here, who he's turning to. He says, I came near unto one of them that stood by. So there's more than one. I believe he's turning to an angel here for some help. Zechariah chapter 2. And you can see this throughout the book of Zechariah, especially the first five or six chapters. You'll see it often, but chapter 2 and verse 3. We read here in Zechariah 2 and 3, And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet him, and said unto him, Run, speak to this young man. Now the young man is Zechariah. Saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. So, even when you study the, the, the uh, time when Moses received the Ten Commandments, you don't read a lot about it in the Old Testament. You actually get more about this in the New Testament, but there were angels involved. There was the Lord meeting Moses on Mount Sinai, but there were angels helping communicate and write down that message on the two tablets that Moses eventually would bring down. And even in the book of Daniel, just turn back to that, you've seen that Zechariah had some angels that were discussing these visions and then passing them on. Uh, look at Daniel chapter uh, Daniel 8, you'll see it in verse number 13. Daniel 8 and 13, Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, how long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? And he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. So Daniel is in on this conversation. But these saints, these holy ones, 
You might remember from Daniel chapter 4, angels get various names. Sometimes they're called watchers because it is their commission, if you will, to watch over uh, various people, various nations. All right, so back in Daniel 7, I believe that's what's happening here, is Daniel is turning to one of these angelic beings and saying, please help me, help me out here. And we'll continue to see that. We'll meet that again as we go through Daniel. In verse 17, here comes the uh, uh, repeat of the vision. These great beasts which are four are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. Summary statement saying those four beasts you read about, there are four kings. Now, the king comes with a kingdom. It's a, it's a joint package, right? You can't have the king without the kingdom. So he says these are four kings, all right? So the four kings will be the man that was in charge when that empire took over the then known world. So you have Nebuchadnezzar with Babylon. You have Cyrus, king of Persia. He took over uh, from Babylon. And then Alexander the Great would be with Greece. And then you have Caesar Augustus, who would have been the Roman emperor the time when Rome took over in the first century BC. All right, verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Now, guys, that's you. If you're saved, if you're born again, that's you. That kingdom that we shall receive one day. We are not the only saints, right? There are saints from the Old Testament. There are saints that are going to uh, still, let's say, repent in the future during that tribulation time after the rapture. There will be people that turn to the Lord, and they will also be part of that kingdom. But once that kingdom is established, that kingdom never ends. In, in 1 Peter, it's called the everlasting kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, let's make a distinction here. The kingdom never ends, but its headquarters does shift. And this has become kind of a theological point. Some people say if the earth ends and the kingdom is established on that earth, well then when the earth flees away, because Jesus said heaven and earth shall pass away. So if the kingdom is established on the earth, Revelation 20 says it will be there for a thousand years, but then when the thousand years are finished, the Bible says in Revelation, heaven and earth flee away and there's found no more place for them. So then doesn't that mean the kingdom ends? No, no, the kingdom just shifts. The headquarters of that kingdom goes from Jerusalem that we now know on the earth and it gets shifted into new Jerusalem, that new heaven and new earth coming down from God. So the kingdom lives on, just the geography changes slightly. All right, verse number 19, he says, Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast. Now, I don't know, I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to hear more about all of them, but that fourth beast, if you might remember, it, it was the most gruesome and, and terrifying of them all. So then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. All right, now this is a uniquely terrifying uh, a beast. So he's asking for some more information about it. All of th these things we've just read, we already covered at the beginning of, of Daniel. When he first saw the vision, I walked you through the, the teeth and the stamping of the residue. So I'm not going to repeat the, the brutality of the Roman Empire. But there is some new information in the next couple of verses. So let's look closely here. Verse 20. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes, and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. All right, his look was more stout. 
Stout is sturdy, brave, bold, determined. All right, any of those words are synonyms for stout. So this little horn, we know him in other places in the Bible as the Antichrist. And when he rises up, there is going to be ten kings. These ten horns are ten kings, and we'll see that in just a moment. And they are this t- the, a, a ten-headed federation, if you want to call it that. They come together and they will rule the, the world. And I don't know exactly what leads up to that, but we can kind of see the world going towards that. Especially after COVID, I think we can see how quickly the world, the nations of the world can come together and agree, let's shut down this and shut down that and pass some universal laws, you know, that that apply everywhere. So eventually there's going to be 10 kings that come together. The Antichrist will then rise up and he will overtake three of those kings and that is his springboard. He, He takes on those three and then eventually from there he takes over the whole thing. His look was more stout than his fellow's. So these 10 politicians, they look like they're going to get the job done, but this guy rises up and says, you ain't seen nothing yet. And, and the Bible tells us he's going to conquer with peace. He will be able to answer dark sentences. He's going to have a lot of answers to long-standing questions. All of that's covered in Daniel 8. So this is like a teaser. I'm just telling you now that we're going to get more into that some other time. In verse 21, I beheld in the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. All right, what is this war? Come to Revelation chapter 13. He's going to make war with the saints. Now by the time that this little horn has risen up and taken power, we are not here. All right, so you can maybe take a a deep sigh of relief and go, okay, I'm going to miss this part of it. It doesn't mean that what we're reading here has no effect on us because we are part of the build-up towards this. Maybe I shouldn't say build-up. We're part of that downward spiral, if, if maybe to put it in a better, better light. But in Revelation 13, you're dealing with a time that happens right in the middle of those seven years of tribulation. And you're going to see the timing mentioned clearly here. Revelation 13, verse 5. It says... And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him, that's the beast, another name for the Antichrist, to continue 40 and two months. 42 months is three and a half years. So that's why I say this is right in the halfway point of those seven years. The Bible gives us the timing for it. Verse 6, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. That's you and I. He will start speaking out against us publicly. He's going to start passing laws that make it legal to persecute and kill believers. That's part of the war he wages. Verse 7, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So right at this halfway point, what happens is the Antichrist is going to be assassinated. He stays dead, I presume, three days just to try to mimic Christ. But then eventually he will rise from the dead. And he does this under the power of Satan. We're told this in the chapter. If you look at verse 3, you'll see it. I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? 
and who is able to make war with him. So as he rises back up from the dead, right, he takes a unique position. He walks into the temple of God, sits down in that temple and says, I am God. And he, he, at this point, he commands the world to worship him or else. Now, at this point, he begins to chase anybody that has converted in this time, right? Because the rapture's happened. We are up there in heaven. The Antichrist stands up and says, they were the problems. And I don't know how he convinces the world, but somehow he says, nature, the universe has decided to eliminate those, those people. They were the problems. We are the ones that are left. Let's make a better world. And if anybody continues to follow that way of those people that disappeared, then we should also eliminate them. Do you see how that might flow? Because if nature has decided, if the universe has decided to take them off the map, then let's just continue what Mother Nature started. Let's get rid of them. And he wages war and he begins to hunt them. And anybody that is found not having the mark in their hand or in their forehead, the mark, the number, or the name, then they're, they're going to die a brutal death. All right, let's come back to Daniel 7. So he makes war, and he prevails, in verse 21, and prevailed against them. It does appear like he's making headway. It looks like he's going to achieve his goal of wiping out any follower of Christ. But... But God does offer some special protection to, to his servants in those last days. There's 144,000 that you read about in Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter 14. They are sealed in their forehead. Their, fa their, their Father in heaven is protecting them, so they make it through to the end. But nevertheless, there are going to be, I, I, I dare say, tens of thousands, maybe more than that, hundreds of thousands that will lose their lives for the sake of Christ in that time. Verse 22, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. All right, the ancient of days, we've already studied this. This was back in verse number 9. All right, so he's just repeating the vision and what he saw and then the angel's going to give him more information about it. All right, so the ancient of days is the Father coming down and he inaugurates Jesus as King of Kings on the throne of, of his father David, his earthly father, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. We are given authority to rule over the kingdom. So Paul refers to this in 1 Corinthians 6. Know ye not that the saints shall judge the world? This is the time when we judge the world. If you, as a believer, faithfully serve the Lord Jesus Christ now, then you might be rewarded with an inheritance in this kingdom. Now see, an inheritance in the kingdom is a step above just living in the kingdom. You, the inheritance would be you have authority to rule over 10 cities or five cities. It depends on how you serve him now. But you get a position of authority in that kingdom because you served him faithfully now. Verse 23, thus he said, the fourth beast, here comes the explanation of everything. The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms. All right, so the fourth beast, fourth kingdom. That fourth kingdom was Rome. But that kingdom, although it starts before Jesus shows up, that kingdom has long legs. If, if I can throw you back to Daniel 2, you remember that image? Head of gold, and then you get silver and brass, and then you get long legs of iron. So the Roman Empire started a long time ago. 
but those long legs all the way down to the feet and then your ten toes, those are the ten horns. It matches up to be the same thing. Part clay, part iron, part strong, part broken, and all of that. So the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom. It's Rome. Rome was destroyed in 476 AD. AD. It started in the BCs. But in 476, Rome lost its power as a political empire. Please bear in mind, though, Rome, I don't want to say they went underground, but they took on a mystery form at that time. When the Roman Empire fell apart, and now they lack political leadership, that's when Italy and Rome turned to the church and said, you guys are the most stable thing we have. So since we have been sacked by the Vandals and the Goths and the Visigoths and all these other pagans, they said, would you please help us out? And here comes priests and pastors from any, any Orthodox type church and said, okay, we will take on a secular position. And it's at this point that church and politics begin to fully mix. It was already starting to do that, but now the church has authority in a political way, which it was never meant to have. And all of a sudden, the Roman Empire takes on a religious flavor, and it is, it's the, you bring into it uh, these, these mysterious forms of religion that wasn't meant to be part of it. So, Revelation 17, mystery. Babylon the Great, mother of harlots. It, all of a sudden, it doesn't look like it's supposed to look. The church wasn't meant to look like that. Politics weren't meant to look like that. They're not supposed to blend. Not until Jesus shows up. Not until Jesus shows up. Romans chapter 13 says, The powers that be are ordained of God. Yes? So God has set it up so that there should be a structure to government. Jesus never taught his disciples to take over the government. He taught us to obey the government. Submit to it and pray for our leaders. Right? But never did he say, church, rise up and take over. That's something that Jesus will do. Jesus will come back, conquer the enemy, and take over. All right, so this fourth beast is Rome. But perhaps you've heard people, when they speak about prophecy, they talk about a revived Roman Empire. And that's what they're talking about. Rome was in power, and then it got sacked. It takes on this mystery form. There's some ancient Babylonian religious aspects to it that sneaks into that political religious system and then it rises again in the end days mixing one world religion and one world politics alright so there's your fourth beast fourth kingdom it shall be diverse from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth one world religion one world government and shall tread it down and break it in pieces now what is this break it in in pieces it could be that he just destroys various places. It could be as simple as that. He crushes things. That's what breaking in pieces is. But I wonder if it's not this, just food for thought. I wonder if the Antichrist doesn't try to redistribute or change the map, Re rewrite the lines on the map to say, I'm going to break it into pieces. So he says, now that I have control over the whole earth, there's no longer however many countries, 100, 200, 300 countries. Now there are just 10. Because he has 10 kings, right? And it, perhaps he says, all right, king number one, you're over this portion of the earth. King number two, this portion. I wonder if that's what he means by break it in pieces. Is, is he redistributes it that way? Perhaps. And, and I, maybe put that in the back of your mind. In Daniel chapter 11, I think you'll see where 
that comes to light again. Verse number 24, and the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. I've given you verses in the past, links back to Revelation 17. And another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. Again, we've talked about this, and the Christ rises up, uses these men as a springboard. Verse 25, and he shall speak great words against the Most High. So this is what we read in Revelation 13. He blasphemes God and God's tabernacle. He claims to be God. And he starts saying the God of the Bible is just a liar. He's just a, a, a figment of our imaginations and you know, mythology and that kind of thing. He speaks great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. All right, and he wears them out. We've already covered it through this war that he wages, chasing them all around. But if you don't mind me stepping out of the, the, the prophetical aspect of this, if we can just talk practically for a moment, this is more preaching than teaching, just for a couple minutes if that's okay. Guys, one of the things that the devil will do, and remember, the Antichrist is the devil incarnate. Right? God had a son, we call him Christ. The devil has a son, we call him Antichrist. God came down in human form. Satan will also manifest in human form when he raises the Antichrist from the dead. And he will go to wear out the saints. So don't think that the devil's waiting for the tribulation to wear the saints out. He'll do it now. He will run you ragged so that you don't have the energy nor the time to fulfill the will of God for your life. He gets that donkey chasing that carrot. That elusive carrot, if I could just get that carrot, then everything will fall into place. I'll be happy. I'll have everything I need. I won't have to worry anymore. One preacher used to say it like this, the devil pays with counterfeit money. The devil will promise you a payday. And then when you finally achieve everything that you think is expected of you in your life, you find out that wasn't worth it. He pays with counterfeit money. He wears us out. You know what he does? He gets us worrying about things that we, have, we can't do anything about. Just wear you out. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Put it at the Savior's feet. Cast your care upon him. He cares for you. There's nothing you can do about it. Right? If there is something you can do, do it. And then after you've done it, say, Lord, that's as far as I can go. That's as much as you've told me to do about it. The rest I'm going to leave to you. But he will wear us out with worries. Guys, pressure is part of life. But do you understand there's a difference between pressure and stress? I know people use those terms as if they're synonymous. They're not. Pressure is part of life. We, we just have to, if I can use the term man up and deal with it, ladies. Lady up and deal with it. <laughs> right? Lady up and deal with it. Pressure is part of life. If you do not deal with the pressures of life in a godly and biblical way, it turns into stress. It turns into anxiety. And then it wears you out. If you deal with the pressure properly, it turns into a moment to praise God and rejoice. Because, looky here, there's this pressure. I did it God's way. I got victory. And I felt peace that passed all understanding while I did it. You end up on Thursday night saying, hey, I got a testimony. <laughs> Right? So he will wear us out in so many different ways, pulling us in every direction. I preached on it recently, right? The will of God is to this vertical relationship to be right with God. The devil will try to pull us down with sin, 
get us away from God. But if he can't pull you down with sin, because I know a lot of you, you have no intention of living a wicked life. You do your utmost to avoid the lust of the flesh and just sin in general. So you know what the devil will do? He'll try to extend you this way, family and friends, and extend you this way with hobbies and careers. And those things aren't bad. They just may be pulling you away from what's truly important and and wear you out. You know what our problem is, I think, in this generation is we are overextended in every way. If it's not with our finances, right? We, we, by the time a young person, students, by the time you finish university, you're, you are already several thousand rands in debt. You have to pay back school loans, right? I, I worked at a credit reporting agency. I saw these people's credit reports. They're in their 50s at a good job still paying student loans. They still owe the universities eighty, ninety, hundred thousand dollars $100,000 after working 30 years. They can't get out of that hole of debt. They're overextended. And we do the same thing with our schedules. Every time somebody invites us to whatever event, okay, yeah, I'll be there. I don't want to offend them. You got to get good at saying, I can't. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've only got so many hours in the day. I can't attend every bri. I know that's blasphemy in South Africa, but, but listen, it's, it's true. You can't go to every bri. You can leave some bri place for later. <laughs> <laughs> all right now i'm done with the preaching let's come back to verse 25 he shall speak great words against the most high and shall wear out the saints of the most high and think to change times and laws okay what does he mean by that is that a reminder is he is he going to change times and law how so is he going to like change how many hours are in the day does he I mean, when he changes laws, is, does he change the laws of nature? I mean, there, there's, it's not descriptive here. It's kind of left open. I think there's a number of things he might try to change. The Bible talks about the second coming of Christ in this way. No man knows the times or the seasons. And, and it could be that the Antichrist, fully aware that Jesus is coming, tries to put that off tries to delay it somehow. Maybe that's what he means by change the times. But it could be this, and I think this is a much more practical answer to it, that right now in South Africa, you have 365 days in the common year, and I think, what, 248 of them are holidays. Is that, does that sound about right? Plus, minus. Plus, plus, minus. <laughs> but perhaps, maybe, just maybe, the Antichrist tries to take a few of those holidays away. To change the times is to say you're not allowed, just for instance, you're not allowed to worship Christ on, on Christmas. He, he takes Christmas off, off the calendar. Easter off the calendar. You're no longer allowed to recognize that as a special day. And in that way, he changes the times. Perhaps it's something like that. He changes the laws. Well, what, what could that be? I think there are a long list of laws that might be changed. Tax laws. You know, th things like that. H how long a politician can be in office. Change those kind of laws because it would be conducive. He's obviously going to try to be a lifelong president. That's what, that's what he's going to go for. I bet he tries to change environmental laws. They're trying to change it now, right, in so many ways. I bet he changes marriage laws because that's changing. We see that shifting. I bet he changes parental laws. That parents can no longer discipline their children, teach their children certain things, and 
Now we're getting to the point, we don't even have the Antichrist on the scene yet. Now they're trying to legislate that you can't tell your little boy he's a boy. I actually saw it the other day where an Otani came over to a guy's house, knocked on the door, not here in America. Crazy stuff happens there. Knocks on the door of this guy, and the guy answers the door. He has a two-year-old daughter. And this Tony starts chewing him out, saying, why do you always dress that little girl in pink? That's all I ever see her. She's always wearing pink. You know you're destroying that child's mind. He said, but that's her favorite color. Yes, but that doesn't matter. You're teaching her that she has to like pink, and you're reinforcing that she's a girl, and this is just a, a construct of society. Oh, my goodness, Tony, Go home. <laughs> She is the living embodiment of a busy body, right? Get out of my business. My little girl likes pink. She's going to wear pink. <laughs> but changing those laws, schooling, those laws will change. You probably won't be allowed to homeschool. Thank God that's still an option. I'm not against sending your kids to a public school, but you just got to know that that comes with some, some red flags you got to watch for. And by all means, he'll change some religious laws. We know this because you have to take the mark to buy or sell and you also have to pledge allegiance to the Antichrist in that way. So I, I think those are some of the times and laws that he might change. At the end of verse 25, And they shall be given into his hand until a time, and times, and the dividing of time. Now this particular phrase is used in other places in the Bible. Uh, we're going to meet it again in Daniel. Let me walk you through a few verses quickly, just to, so that you can see the Bible's definition for time, times, and the dividing of time. So come to Revelation uh, chapter 12, if you would. Revelation 12. And verse number 6. And again, forgive me, we're just jumping into the middle of a context here, but this is... The devil is going to attack Israel, the nation of Israel, in the middle of the tribulation as well. And we pick it up here in verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness. That woman is a picture of Israel. Fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand, two hundred, and threescore days. That's 1,260 days or 1260. Now, doing that math, 1260 days is equal to 42 months. And, and you might remember the 42 months, that's from chapter 13, verse 5. It's the same time frame. It's just a different way to refer to it. Now, look at Revelation 12, verse number 14. So we know the woman is in the wilderness there hiding for 1,260 days. Verse 14 says, And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time, and times, and half a time from the face of the serpent. So the Bible defines itself. We know how long a time, times, and half a time is. It's 1260 days. Verse 6 does the math for us. Okay? So a time is one, right? And then times, that's plural, so it's two. And then divide a time, you get half. So one plus two plus half, it's three and a half years. And therefore, a time, would, would rec when we're dealing with this prophetic outlook, a time then speaks to one year. 
Now, that'll actually help us as we read through the book of Daniel. It'll explain some other things. All right, come back to Daniel chapter 7 now. So the Antichrist gets to run wild for a time, times, and the dividing of time. Verse 26, but the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. All right, now... When it says they, they shall take away his dominion. The judgment will sit because the ancient of days is coming. Jesus is coming and he's going to sit upon the throne of his father David and take authority. So that's the judgment that shall sit. And they shall take away his dominion. The they refers to the saints from verse 25. The saints of the Most High that are being worn out. He's conquering them for those three and a half years. And then they come back and say, it's our turn now. And they take the kingdom, and it says to consume and to destroy it unto the end. So I, there's two ways you might understand this. The Antichrist himself is going to be thrown into a lake of fire. We read this in Revelation 19. And he stays in the lake of fire unto the end of time, and even beyond that. So it might refer to that. But it could also be this, unto the end, that is, when we come back, we span the globe looking for any trace, any shred of the Antichrist kingdom, and we are going to root it out. We're going to make sure that any dominion he had, any follower of his, any remnant of any rule he had, we make sure that it is completely consumed, destroyed, and done away with. So unto the end would be unto the end of the world, geographically. We go everywhere looking for any trace of it and eliminate it. All right, verse 27, and both might be true, to be honest. Verse 27, and the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven. I can ask you to make special note of that. If you make notes in your Bible, maybe you want to underline that, put your finger on it or something. The greatness of the, here's the underline part, the kingdom under the whole heaven. Now that, that's an that's a, a important phrase you will find that phrase shortened, but it will be repeated in the Gospel of Matthew. And only Matthew's Gospel. Mark, Luke, and John, they use the term kingdom of God. And, and the kingdom of God is a broader term. The kingdom of God can refer to the political kingdom where God is ruling over the earth through His Son. But the kingdom of God can also be a spiritual kingdom that lives inside of you where the Holy Spirit rules on the throne of your heart. So the kingdom of God is a broader term. The kingdom of heaven. You see that in the book of, of Matthew a number of times. He's the only author to use it. But it comes from, that's a shortened version of what we have here. The greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven. So it sounds kind of strange, but the kingdom of heaven is not heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not heaven. Not one time is it ever referred to as heaven. The kingdom of heaven is when God, the one seated on the throne in heaven, is running the world. So Jesus taught his disciples to pray like this. I'm sure you remember the prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Right? Thy kingdom come. So we need heaven to come down. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So we got, a, we got heaven's authority established on earth. So it's the greatness of the kingdom 
under the whole heaven. Any land, any piece of land under, under the heavens now belongs to the Lord and to his saints. Right, so when you read about the kingdom of heaven, you're reading about this earthly kingdom that Jesus rules over during that millennial time. Verse 27, the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, we've spoken about this, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Right, so you have Jesus as king of kings, but there are a number of other kings underneath Jesus' authority. And just like you have in any government, you have a president, then you have vice presidents, and then you have municipal uh, leaders, you have mayors, you have governors, you have senators, all of those things, that type of structure still exists in the millennium. But they're all under the leadership or authority of, of Christ himself. All right, verse 28, hitherto is the end of the matter. So now the angel is wrapping things up, says, Daniel, what God has just shown you is from 536 B.C., all the way to the end of the millennium when the, when the earth is finished. You've seen the whole thing. All right, now guys, I, God help us. If, if we were to take our time and try to explain all the history that's involved in that, the atrocities that have gone on under each of those kingdoms and how things are gonna get really, really bad in the tribulation time, that would be overwhelming, yes? If we would get even the smallest of glimpses of how rough it is going to get. Do you understand that in the tribulation time, not millions, billions of people die. Billions. With a B. Just that fact alone, there's so much death and atrocity going on, it's hard to take all that in. So he says, hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations, nice big English word, that just simply means your thoughts. You know, cognitive reasoning, that kind of thing, that's your thoughts. My cogitations much troubled me and my countenance changed in me. Your countenance is how your face looks. So instead of cheerful, now he, he looks sad and down and maybe... permanently fix this government or during my lifetime I'll never see complete peace but there you just have to swallow your medicine say okay it's not going to be great but let me make the most of it and he kept that with him all right that's as far as we'll get today let's all stand let's all stand and guys it is going to get rough this world doesn't offer us much much hope but let, let me give you this thought keep this in your heart uh, the end of the story, we know how it ends. We end up in a kingdom with Jesus sitting on the throne, so we have great hope. It may not be soon, but we, we, know, we know victory is sure. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to cover all of this stuff. Thank you for the details you've given us. Lord, we know where to place our hope. We don't look to the head of any government today. We look to heaven. We look to your son. We, we wait eagerly for the day that he comes back. And Lord, although in the world we shall have tribulation, you have told us that we can be of good cheer because you've overcome the world. So Lord, we want to place our hope and trust completely in you. Bless our service to come. Bless the fellowship now to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. And all right, you guys enjoy some fellowship.